Hey there, welcome to the show. Well, I've got a great one planned for you today. I've got uh, Dave Butler from BM Select joining me. Always great to have Dave's input on what's happening with mortgages. And a bit, little bit later on in the hour, I've got the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board President, Kevin Krieger joining me. I'm excited to have him on the show. First time he's gonna be joining me. And I'm looking forward to, you know, really kind of drilling down on what's happening in the marketplace and what we can anticipate for the end of the year. You know, what's the number gonna be? You know, it's funny, Tim Sirianos and I always have a little bit of a bet at every January, how many, uh, what the volume is gonna be like. And something tells me Tim and I aren't even gonna be close this year. I think we were pretty, uh, pretty positive at the beginning of January. Um, so, you know, I'm just throwing it out there. Chances are we're not even going to be close. So you know what? Kevin's going to join me and give us some of his input. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, speaking of looking forward to something, you know, coming up on Thursday, October the 20th, I have my simple real estate investment seminar slash webinar. That's right. You can join us live here in studio. And uh, I am going to talk a lot about interest rates, how to protect yourself in this environment, especially as a real estate investor. What should you be doing? And you know what? I am going to break it down for you. Um, and, and just a couple of things on how to manage tenants and what should be done. So again, these seminars are always free with us and really nothing to sell you. You know, uh, I don't have programs that I sell people. This is just more information that we can pass on as far as an education. And, you know, I think it's always important if we're able to, to help people through, especially times where interest rates are putting a little bit of pressure on your cash flow. So, you know what, join me October the 20th at 7 PM, go to the simple investor.com to register and, uh, uh, yeah, you'll meet me and my staff and you'll see our new place. Pretty excited about that. And of course, my studio here, and that's where we are broadcasting from right now. And uh, so I'm looking forward to it. But again, what's going on in the marketplace? Well, you know what? We have seen a little bit of up uptick in activity, uh, even though a lot of the doomsayers are out there and they're having a lot of discussions on what is wrong and what is going on with the market. But, you know, when it comes down to the market and mortgages, you know, it's much better for me to get the professionals to weigh in. So, you know, joining me now, of course, is Dave Butler from BM Select. Thanks very much, Todd. Appreciate it. Listen, always a pleasure having you on, Dave. And, and you know, this is, I, I, I think what people are going to start saying, it's the Dave and Todd show, you know, it's uh, one of those things, you know. Um, but I, I, I got to tell you, you know, you and I, you and I always, you know, have to you know, like call a spade a spade. We got the Bank of Canada. We've been watching the U.S. Fed. The Bank of Canada could be, you know, anticipating the next move. Can you tell us where we're at right now and where the market is going, Dave? Yeah, I mean, right now we're currently sitting at a Bank of Canada prime rate of 5.45%. Uh, most Canadians are able to get a discount on that rate anywhere between, say, 02 to probably even upwards of 1%, some even more. So most Canadians now on variable rates are sitting in an interest rate of anywhere between, let's say, you know, 4.4 uh, all the way up to, say, 5.2, 5.25. That's probably going to be your a nice range for you. Um, where are we going? I mean, realistically, you know, Government of Canada, from what the, the language that was used at the last meeting, um, you know, and where inflation still sits, I would I would certainly anticipate another ink, another doozy, maybe a 0.5, maybe a 0.75. Um, but look, we had some pretty good data come out. I think personally, you know, CPI was down to 7.2. We're in the right direction. Uh, you know, some naysayers will say, well, it's not enough. Look, I I'm just looking for a downtrend in inflation. I'm not looking to have it down at 2 and 3% within a couple of months. I think we know it's going to take some time. Uh, but realistically, I think we're in the right space. We're in at least a downtrend for the last couple of months on inflation. 
I think as inflation starts to get curbed, we may start to see the Bank of Canada stop with the increases, maybe a little pause. And I think that's where a lot of the speculation comes in that by that time we could be in a recession, you know, that nasty R word. And traditionally, governments will try to stimulate economies that are in recessions by lowering their, you know, their crime rate, which that's why a lot of people, you'll hear a lot of people talking about a pivot. The Bank of Canada is going to have to pivot. Well, I don't necessarily think they have to. I think they can do whatever they want. But I think at the end of the day, a lot of the metrics, a lot of the economics are pointing to a potential stop raise, hold for a bit. And then in a best case scenario, I think for us that are in real estate and in mortgages, uh, we'd like to see them obviously come back to to a level that makes things a bit more affordable with the prices that are out there. You and I always talk about kind of the base rate and what it should be. And obviously, you know, for the last couple of years, we've had a rate that it, it wasn't sustainable. Um, you know, a lot of people, I think, you know, of course, people took advantage of it. But more importantly, I think people became numb to the idea of how low it truly was. You know, being in the business as long as you and I've been in, you know, we've seen the numbers and, you know, that that was so exceptionally low. But, you know, if you if you were to turn around and pick on a healthy interest rate. And I'm throwing this out there because I, I think people need to know and put things into perspective. You know, I've always thought anything between three and 4% should be a healthy interest rate. It's enough to make people question getting into debt, but it's not too much that it's going to punish them. And ultimately in the end, it gives people the the ability to get into home ownership. Um, Dave, what's your take on it? It's funny you say the three to 4% range because uh, the reality is this, I, I, I've done a lot of, obviously, I, I have a lot of memory from the last couple of years, at least even going back, you know, as far as I can go back in my career, I, I'm a kind of a mortgage nerd with interest rates. Um, look, I think 3.79, 3.89 for a five-year fixed rate, and I think you've got a market. I think your housing market is active. Again, I don't think it's going to be the crazy February 2022 stuff that we saw or even the crazy stuff that we saw in 2016 and 17. I think we're looking for healthy. And a lot of people don't know this, but back in 2018, the five-year fixed rate had hit 399. Some banks were even approaching 404 and 409. Um, look, we were still active. There was no talk in 2008 of a real estate crash. We were actually looking at coming off the backs of a crazy 2016 and 17. And the reaction in 2018 with those higher rates was actually fine. We didn't see the massive percentage drop-offs that we are seeing right now on sales volume. But certainly what was different then was that price was moving a little bit more. And we're finding now that price isn't moving at the level in which some of these cuts have happened. And I think what they were expecting, which is interesting because it goes back to our supply-demand imbalance that we've talked about literally for over a year and going even into at some points in COVID and literally every show we talk about the same thing and every show it we're, we're seeing that the Bank of Canada is doing their thing but more importantly we're not seeing any supply new supply hitting the market and if anything what we've talked about before supply looks like it's dwindling we've got builders stopping to build so long story short to answer the question I say 379389 gets your at a five-year fix rate gets some activity back and gets things rolling again and I don't think we're far off a lot of people don't realize this but the bond yield currently for the five-year sitting at 3.3 percent um, right now fixed rates are actually priced a little higher than they should be because we are in an uncertain time with high inflation and with a war going on 
traditionally, the five-year fixed rate is usually about 1.5% above the bond. So if we can get back to more certain times where inflation's under control, where there's maybe not a war bro- broke out at different parts of the world, we might actually see, if we can get the bond down to 2.3, 2.4, we might see these rates that you and I are talking about, 379, 389. One of the things about with the banks is that you and I both know the volume this year is going to be very, very poor for them. You know, um, you know, potentially maybe 80,000 units being sold in comparison to well over 120. You know, they're, they're seeing a big hit right now as far as the marketplace goes. Yes, we know lending is, you know, it's costing more to do it. But ultimately, in the end, I think what's going to happen is I think, I think you're going to have one of those banks, sort of like we saw BMO years ago, I think one of them is going to sit there and they're going to say, look at, you know what, we're going to buy down the business. We need the business because we've lost so much of it. And maybe, just maybe, and, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, if, you know, they're going to get competitive. They're going to sit there and say, look, you know, we've got to, we got to encourage people to, to give us their mortgage. And I think that right now, I think it's just who flexes first. And, and I don't know, you, you tell us. Well, look, you know, it's funny you say that we saw HSBC flex first. A lot of people won't know this, but since middle of June until about uh, probably recently as maybe say middle of August. So for two straight months, the bond yields were actually on a nice downtrend and HSBC went and actually flexed first. Not a lot of people know this. They dropped their five-year fix to 4.74 or even 4.79. You'll forgive me. Um, And that was back in August. Now, the other banks did not follow. So that kind of lets me know that they had some, you know, obviously maybe some information HSBC didn't and that we were going to see some very hard moves from the Bank of Canada and probably longer than we were thinking. And so the banks didn't move. And that was very, very interesting because that goes to your point that there's always going to be a bank that's going to try to capitalize on some of the volume and try to get their numbers up before the others. And we saw them try this. So who's next and when is next? Well, I think the the easiest question to answer, and that would probably be when is next. I'll be honest, I'm anticipating maybe sometime in the spring. I would would think that if there is gonna be a big move by a big bank, and that's really what we wanna see, a big bank make a move, we're probably looking around the spring. And who knows, it might be the old BMO spring special. And if that's the case, um, that always seemed to kind of kickstart the spring and summer markets for those years. And uh, again, healthy, healthy activity, not not the craziness that we saw up recently. Always a pleasure having you join me. And uh, I think uh, next week you're going to be back for the Real Estate Talk Triangle with Tim Siriano. So I look forward to having the two of you in-house with us and uh, having an exciting discussion. So thanks once again for, for joining me this week. And folks, when I come back, I've got Kevin Krigger joining me. He is the president of the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, my next uh, guest joining me, uh, I I feel very, very fortunate to have him. Um, He is the new Toronto Regional Real Estate Board President, Kevin Krieger. And uh, just so you know, Kevin's also a licensed realtor. He's with Royal LePage. And and Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for the invitation. Um, I greatly appreciate you joining me. I know you're really busy, uh, especially you know, now so much going on in the market. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping today, maybe you and I can have a chat about almost the, the entire gamut of real estate, because there's so much going on, 
you know, being the president of the board, you know, I, I know that you're following numbers, trends, interest rates, everything. I mean, you know, people are getting inundated with the news and I kind of want to dispel some of the headlines because you and I both know in the real estate world, you know, headlines can influence the markets. And I think some of these, uh, some of these headlines are a little bit misleading. I would completely agree. Let's talk about, you know, the number one uh, headline that I've seen the most recently. I'm hearing, you know, they're saying real estate markets crashing. And yet I always, I defend the fact that it's not the dollar value. It's actually the number of sales that's happening. And I think, I think sometimes when you hear numbers such as 47% down, you know, people automatically think, oh my goodness, property values are down 47%, but that's not the number that we're referring to. It's actually the amount of volume. So can we talk about that for a little while? Most definitely. I think when it comes to headlines in pretty much all cases, there's really a reason they're selected and it's generally to get sort of eyes on the news. So looking certainly at headlines around the overall decline in number of transactions we saw in July, that 47% decline was sort of the key message that was out there. Now, we certainly did see an almost 50% drop in overall activity. Now that's relative to a record year, the previous year in which it was being compared to. Um, but when you look at price, we have certainly seen a trending downward in price from the market highs of sort of January and February, where we saw you know pricing in the first two months of the year reach the sort of one over one point three million dollar price point. I think we we're at one million three hundred thirty four thousand, which was obviously up from around one point one million um, a couple of months before. So we saw a massive run up in prices. And, you know, we certainly have seen that price come down. We're sort of sitting around 1-1 one, one now. And, you know, obviously a sizable difference, but I think the larger story is why. And when you look at this market cycle specifically, interest rates have obviously started to climb. That is obviously a huge factor affecting overall sales volume and to some degree price as well. But really it's a matter of consumer confidence. You know, the rates that were, the rates that we have seen increases too, obviously the effect is generally a lagging one. So a rate change comes into effect and it can take you know, six months, nine months or multiple years before people are in a renewal scenario. And we effectively saw an instantaneous change in the market. So that to me speaks more of consumer confidence and consumers taking a wait and see approach than sort of a fundamental change in the market. Yeah. So, you know, I'm glad you brought up actually the renewal aspect of things. So, you know, you and I have been able to watch the real estate market for years. And when we take a look at the cycles that we've actually gone through, so if, if we go back to, you know, 2017, 2018, this is where we saw that downturn in the market. You know, after a huge run up, we had the foreign buyer tax implemented and then we had the stress test put into place. So, of course, that put some downward pressure into the marketplace. We saw interest rates come up. You know, and so then we start taking a look at the volume that happened. And it wasn't that we had this huge decline in pricing, but we saw this volume drop off. And then, as you mentioned last year, record, you know, year for sure, number of transactions and prices. But when, when we talk about financing, and I'm glad you brought up the interest rate, because here's one of the things, you know, we had the least amount of properties sold in 2018 than we've had basically in the last five years. 
And so what happens is, is that now coming into 2023, those people are going to have to renew their mortgage, but it's a, it's a lot smaller number. When you think about the sheer volume that we had in 2021, a lot of those people locked in and they locked in at historically low interest rates. So they almost have a buy for the next three, four years of confidence that that interest rate isn't going to affect them. I, th I think that's one of the reasons why I'm positioning it this way is I'm just asking, you know, I think that that's going to avoid the word crash because in real estate, you know, when we, when you and I talk about crash, we talk about prices, not volume. And I think that, you know, basically if we take a look at the reality of the numbers in play, I think, you know, we, we, we have the ability of avoiding using that word because, you know, that much of an adjustment, I just don't see it or, or foresee it in the future. Well, I think there are a couple of things I want to unpack from the the commentary there. So one is the connection to 2017, 2018. If you look at what affected the market, the foreign buyer tax, now looking at every study that's been done, and there have been a number, and there are different groups that are quoted around what percentage of overall transactions yeah. are affected by foreign individuals. Sure. And there's general agreement that it's somewhere between three and on the very, very high side, five or 6%. Right. So when you look at the effect that the foreign buyer tax had in the short term, it was substantial. And it was this sort of change in government policy that made people very nervous that a fundamental change to the market was coming. So you had people effectively who put the brakes on full stop and waited to see. And what happened? We had a period where less transactions occurred because there were less people looking and less transactions. There was sort of a decline to price in the short term. And over a period of time, what then happened? People saw that the world didn't end, jumped right back into the market. We had substantial pent up demand, and we've seen one of the biggest run-ups in the market that we've seen, effectively from the recovery post 2018 until now. So that tells us a couple of things. One, the government's continual focus on demand side policies, this sort of artificial suppression of demand has been completely ineffective in solving affordability issues. Number two, the stress test. The stress test was brought in because we were operating in a very low interest rate environment and one that certainly represented historic lows. So the government brought in a policy that to us makes a lot of sense, which was to create a hedge so that if rates increase, we're not going to see, you know, substantial effect in the market long term. So I think the stress test certainly has accomplished its goal. We are in a higher interest rate environment now based on substantial government spending, this sort of odd period of COVID, which is sort of unprecedented, and a period where we are seeing substantially higher inflation. So all of that to say, the stress test was a policy that made a lot of sense to protect the health of the market long term, but the typical sort of demand suppression policies the government has utilized at all levels thus far have been completely ineffective. The only positive to come out of this crazy period of COVID really has been that every level of government across the entire country is aligned that we now have a supply problem. Treb's been sounding the alarm for 10 years and now the government's finally listening and we're seeing policies slowly develop at the federal, provincial and now municipal levels that hopefully will affect supply long term. 
I'm glad you brought up the supply issue because I do I do think that's something you and I have to dig down a little bit more on. Um, folks, if you're just joining me right now, I have Kevin Krieger joining me. And and Kevin is the currently the existing uh, president of the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board, and he's also a, a realtor um, who's been practicing with Royal LePage. You know, one of the, one of the things, uh, Kevin, that you know I think a lot of people are are kind of missing when we talk about the actual volume and, and what's going on is the, the sheer number of properties that we need. And right now, you know, we're not seeing enough produced. I mean, right now there's a shortfall and, and it's in the hundreds of thousands of properties. And with the current, you know, atmosphere of having more immigrants, you know, coming in, I, I just, I don't see an end to that. And, and I think that that's one of those things that I want to, uh, I want to have a further conversation with you. So folks, we're going to go to a, a quick break, but when I come back, I've got Kevin Craiger joining me and we'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in right now, I am really pleased that I've got the president of the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board joining me, Kevin Krieger. And uh, Kevin, just before the break, um, we had we were starting to go down the, the the requirement of more properties. And as you know, you've been you know an active um, realtor for many many years. And one of the things that we recognize is just the sheer lack of volume that's coming into the market. Meaning, you know, replacing what we need, adding to our inventory. Um, a lot of people, you know, I think get a little bit tired of hearing that we don't have enough inventory, but I mean, it's a reality. So can you, can you open up a little bit about that? Most definitely. I think for those of us who live in Toronto, it's no surprise to us that many, many, many more people from around the world would like to live here as well. We have seen a lot of migration within the country. You know, many of my family members who grew up outside of Toronto over time have finished school and moved into the city looking for job opportunities. So it's a continual story. And when you look at the record level of immigration um, that we're now experiencing, we certainly are not having record levels of construction and record levels of growth that have kept the pace with population increases over time. So there's a lot of conversation certainly among governments, specifically around ownership housing. And the fact that there aren't enough homes for people to buy, whether that be you know condo, townhouse, or semi single family home, what have you. But over and above that, there's been no construction virtually in 40 years of purpose built rental stock. Most of the rental stock that exists in our market is individually owned condominium suites that are being rented out on a you know singular investor landlord uh, basis and we have a massively growing population. So all of these things to say that we've seen substantial demand in the market, there's been no fundamental increase in supply, and there's so much red tape involved in the development process. We've had the great opportunity to work with a number of developers in the city on the sales side. And there are projects that you know we initially consulted on, and five, six, seven years later, they're coming to market um, and you know, coming to completion. Many projects take upwards of seven to 10 years from initial land acquisition through to people actually moving into new developments. So we need to look at opportunities for intensification that doesn't require large scale development. Things like converting single family homes into duplex, triplex or fourplex properties. And that's where the level of red tape and the slow pace for change 
you know, we have a city where 70% of most neighborhoods are zoned exclusively for single family residential. And many of those neighborhoods are located on great transit infrastructure, have tons of retail amenities, are walkable, and really interconnected to the city. So as a growing city, intensification needs to occur, and the government needs to look at opportunities where individual homeowners have the potential to change the use of their property, intensify the number of units within their individual plot of land, so that we can create additional housing units in what is already a vibrant city without changing the overall look and feel of the neighborhoods within it. Yeah. So I'm going to play devil's advocate for you just so you know, because again, you know, um, I've had a few of the past presidents with me. Uh, Tim Sirianos is part of my real estate talk triangle here. Always great having him on. And, you know, one of the things that we do have a discussion, of course, is the fact that there's a lot of people, they just don't want it in their own backyard. You know, we all know and will accept the fact that we need more properties, but they would rather have it in somebody else's yard, you know, not too close to them. You know, this is that one of those, those those times, Kevin, that I think it's a real struggle because, as you mentioned, some of these neighborhoods, I mean, they offer so much as far as, you know, uh, shopping, employment, as well as transit. But yet there are these groups that are saying, hey, listen, we don't want it being built here. We don't want to have it affect us here. You know, how do, how do, how do we educate the public to overcome that? And, and I mean, other than it's bursting at the seams and rents are going through the roof, if we don't have the amount of inventory that we need, this is where we're going to stand. I think there's a, a couple of things to discuss in that regard. So one, I think the, taking the politics out of planning is incredibly important. If you look at the highly politically charged planning process that exists right now at a municipal level, you have you know, politicians who are looking to get reelected. You have certainly, you know, very organized groups who are certainly anti-development in their neighborhoods. And I think there needs to be sort of a bridging between the two. So, you know, a 25-story tower is probably not an appropriate introduction into a neighborhood of exclusively single-family homes. And I don't think anyone will disagree that that probably is not good planning on a, a general basis. Sure. That being said, I owned a property, for example, in Little Portugal, which is an amazing pocket in the city. I bought it as an investment property. It was a single family home in fairly original condition, let's say. It presented a great opportunity for conversion into a triplex with three individual suites. We didn't add a single square foot to the building envelope. The front facade of the building remained unchanged. Everything was done with permits and all of the appropriate approvals in place. Now it took a year to get approval. And this is for, again, a very small infill sort of singular project um, that effectively created two additional rental units. Those kind of things uh, are, are important, I think, that because we need more of those, as you, as you had alluded to before. You know, this is where the laneway housing that got introduced uh, a little while ago and as you mentioned, creating duplexes, triplexes, I, I am a huge, um, you know, supporter of that because I do believe that not only will uh, it give us more units, but it also helps people afford to have ownership there. Well, and it also gives options for the current owner of the property. So while we were doing our conversion of this particular home, there was someone who lived a few doors over. They owned the home since the 1950s. They had looked at options to downsize their mother into a property that was sort of less maintenance and 
sort of more related to her current ability and, and mobility. And really, the only things they'd found were substantially outside of the neighborhood where she's lived most of her life. So they then started down the route of converting her single family home into a multi-unit property that utilized it to its sort of best ability. It provided still housing to her. They made an investment, obviously, in the conversion. It brought in income for her in the later stages of life and really didn't impact the neighborhood in any negative way whatsoever. Um, so there are different types of development that make sense. And there are sort of development that very easily can be um, done, provided some of the politics is taken out of the equation. There's a streamlining of the process so that a lay person who isn't familiar or part of the development industry has the ability to you know, look at these potential opportunities. But certainly in a, a growing city where government is making massive investments, in some cases in transit infrastructure, there has to be an expectation that in transit infrastructure being brought into a community, there will be intensification that comes as part of that process. I think the, the balance that needs to exist is in protecting the overall nature of the community where intensification is required, but also recognizing that you're never going to please everyone in the process and there needs to be a balance that's struck. But right now, the issue really is the process and the timing. So when you look at the length of time it takes for development approval, the only developments that really are coming to market are massive scale developments because they're the only ones that financially make sense. If there was a faster process for much smaller scale development, maybe that would encourage more people to look at that as an option. It does come down to the dollars and cents, but I do believe that some of these smaller infill pieces um, can also generate, you know, and, and, and one of the things is that we do have a rental issue here. Like we're, we're missing so many rental properties and these can come to the market within months once permits are issued. I mean, we're talking about renovations. We're talking about separate entrances. We're not talking about building the underground parking, worrying about, you know, unions uh, striking or supply chain. I mean, it's much easier for us to bring And Yeah, I know we're doing it one or two at a time, but I think that, you know, with enough people doing it, I think it definitely has some potential. Uh, Kevin, I'm going to ask you to hang on if you can just, uh, and folks, when we come back, I've got more with the president of the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board, Kevin Krieger. So stay with me. I'll be right back after this. And welcome back. Um, as I mentioned, uh, you know, at the top of the show and for the last two segments, my guest joining me, Kevin Krieger. And Kevin is the uh, president of the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board. Kevin, uh, you know, so far I've just loved our conversation because you're just saying it how it is. And, and thank goodness because, you know, people have to know, especially from somebody in your position about, you know, what the market's truly doing and where we can make some solutions. You know, one of the solutions that you and I talked about earlier was, of course, the mortgage stress test. And now today, you know, to qualify for a mortgage, uh, the number is pretty astronomical. And I think that it's making it even more difficult, especially for your first time home buyer coming into the marketplace. Can you tell me, what do you think? Is the stress test still a, a good thing in place? And should we continue on with it? Based on its policy objective, which was to essentially protect against a sizable increase in mortgage rates, it certainly has served its purpose. I think realistically at this point with people having to qualify at, you know, six, seven and eight percent, I don't think that it's still a policy that really um, should remain in place in its current form. It's certainly something the government has to review. 
we've seen sizable increases in rate already. Um, it certainly was a, a great tool in protecting against any market instability um, based on the low rate environment that existed. But certainly at this point, we feel that it would be beneficial for the government to review its need and current form. Yeah, with the two, I mean, basically 2% over what most uh, mortgages are achieved at right now, that that makes it a lot more difficult. You know, I do want to I, I do want to backtrack for a second. I want to talk to you about this year's market because we are definitely looking at the the tale of two stories, um, <laughs> you know, coming into January and February, you know, absolutely on fire. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've been trying to to get out into the marketplace was the fact that, I don't, I don't like government intervention ever in a marketplace. I, I think that it's normally, you know, too little, too late, or they shouldn't have done it because there's a natural part of the market. And, you know, as a, as a, a professional in this industry, I'm pretty sure you saw the gas running out in February, regardless of what interest rates were going to do. I think people just, I think we used up most of our buyers. I think we used up most of our buyers' patience. And ultimately, in the end, I think that we were we were going to come to a natural cooling of the market. And again, sometimes the intervention could be the Bank of Canada or the federal government. You know, they come in and they use that force as they did in 2017, 18. And I think it's kind of a, an unnatural cooling of a marketplace. And, you know, if you and I take a look at the stats in February of this year, you know, that was a almost like a blip. It was that last ditch effort, everybody. And that was that like 5% increase is crazy in a month, but that's what ended up happening was this, the, this spike. But unfortunately now everybody's using that as the measuring tape. And that was, it wasn't a huge, you know, when the volume all of a sudden drops off, it was like, that was the last ditch effort. We have to then go backwards and say, so year over year, here we are in, you know, winding up September year over year. I mean, the market's in kind of a neutral position from last year. So it's not like we've got this crazy, crazy market. So again, I, 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 Maybe you can, you know, tell us what, what you saw in the very beginning of the marketplace because in, in the beginning of the year, because again, I look at it and say, we shouldn't be panicked so much right now. Cause I don't think that, I don't think the reversal is going to affect people that bought a year or two ago. Well, I think there's a couple of things related to that. So certainly the pace in January and February, it's probably best described as frenzied. Yep. It was an unbelievable pace of growth huge volume and you know just this sort of highly competitive really emotionally charged period where people were purchasing if you look at generally the process and the general i guess transaction length people are typically buying properties as their home so it's a long-term purchase it's not a a stock trade where you know they're sort of day trading this asset class it certainly has an investment angle. People aren't buying real estate to not make money over time, but at the same time, they're not buying to flip in the short term. So based on that, I think the nature of price changes are certainly relative, but most of the buying decisions and selling decisions are really dictated by life events. At least that's what I see in, in my own business over the last decade. You know, people get married, have children, there's sort of size requirements, there's lifestyle changes. And that really is generally the driver of their transaction decision. When you look at the sort of COVID period and the Bank of Canada, I'm sure is frustrated at this point, 
because they've taken the approach of vastly increasing rates, which one would argue they probably should have started sooner. But unlike in other cycles where vast increases in price have been very impactful, the impact certainly has been to overall volume. There's been marginal change to price on a year-over-year basis. But one of the things that is hard to account for is the massive amount of savings that people accrued through this sort of COVID period. So it's a very unique cycle. And when people talk about, you know, recession, housing crashes, and all of those things, you know, have we typically had record levels of employment going into a recession? There are a lot of unique attributes to this period that are not or have not been relevant in the past. So I personally see a soft landing for real estate. Certainly, you know, rates have been a factor. I think consumer confidence has been the biggest factor in the number of transactions. But realistically, people who were looking to make a move in March and April that didn't are still going to have to make that move at some point in time. So if anything, I think it's delaying inevitable transactions, but the transactions will still occur. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful point because I think a lot of people think that when we see this upward tick in interest rates, that all of a sudden the buyer disappears forever. But there will be a certain acceptance, I think, of where people will see. I, I think we had that false confidence that interest rates were going to stay low forever. You know, you had that little blip there for two years and now it's like, oh my goodness, it's so low. And some to some people that became the norm. For some of us that have been playing in the industry for a long, long time, you know, I, I'll tell you, if I years and years ago, if I could have had a four and a half percent interest straight, I would have been thrilled. I had 9%, 12%, you know, so, you know, four and a half seems like a deal in, in, if in, in retrospect, when you take a look at the timing. So, um, listen, Kevin, I just, I, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a great pleasure having you on the show for the first time. And I definitely look in, uh, you know, forward to getting maybe an update near the year's end, because it'll be interesting to see how we finish off this year of 2022. Most definitely. I'd be happy to come back. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And folks, that's Kevin Krieger, and he is the president of the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board. One of the things that I think very important is, to, you know, talk to the people that are actually in the business, um, you know, hands-on. You don't really have somebody more hands-on than the you know current president of the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board, as Kevin is. So uh, I just want to thank him. And uh, I also want to thank Dave Butler. He keeps it real for me every time he joins me from BM Select. You know, knowing what's going on in the mortgage world, I think, folks, is so important nowadays that we got to keep up with it. But um, as I mentioned early, earlier in the show, that's right, coming up on Thursday, October the 20th at 7 p.m., you can join me right here at our studio uh, at 7 p.m. for our new Simple Real Estate in uh, Seminar. Uh, you know, I keep going thinking webinar. I mean, the last couple of years, it's been webinar, but guess what? We are actually holding it in-house here, seminar, and that is is Thursday, October the 20th at 7 p.m. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register. Um, you know, I'm going to be talking about a lot of things, a lot to do with the interest rates, um, how to combat them, how you should be setting up your investment real estate, and what is the best way to bulletproof your portfolio. So, uh, yeah, we'll probably talk about, you know, a, a new kind of micro release that we're going to be doing. But more importantly, I want to do some educational stuff because it's very important that these times when they change, we got to know how we deal with them and how we can come out ahead. So we're going to talk about leverage to live, generational wealth, and we're actually going to, you know, talk about, um, you know, 
basically leverage on how it can help you maintain your investment real estate. So lots to unfold. Uh, and that's on Thursday, October the 20th. But I do want to thank, obviously, my producers, uh, Ian Grant, and I've got Omar right here in-house. He's now taking care of me uh, at our new studio. So it's great to have these, uh, these two gentlemen making sure that the show comes off. And on top of that, I want to thank you for tuning in and making us the number one real estate talk show. And of course, I will be back next Sunday as usual. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010 Toronto.